Well, our sermon series is entitled Epic. And what is an epic? An epic is a story that's bigger than life. And the thesis is that we all want to be part of a bigger story. And we all have a small story. And what we do is we try to make our small stories great. But then we grow disappointed because something doesn't work out. So what we're finding uh, is that when we look in the Bible, there are people like Peter and John and James. And they had a small story. And before Jesus' death and resurrection, all they really cared about was their own small story. Uh, What's in it for me? But then when you get over into the book of Acts, you go, oh my goodness, what a transformation. All of a sudden, these people had joined the epic story of the salvation of God. And so we're on a journey, and we're asking you to consider what would it mean to join the epic story of the salvation of God? And some of you might be asking, well, how do I know if I'm joining the story? Um, Have I joined it? Have I been converted into the story? I'm in church. Um, I believe in Jesus. Isn't that all that's required? And so some of us are wondering about these things. And uh, but what we're going to find today is that often um, there's, a, there's a conversion that is beyond what I would call merely a faith conversion. Now, to be sure, faith in Jesus is all we need to be reconciled to God the Father, full stop. But if we're going to be converted into the epic story of the salvation of God, it means to be converted into his mission. What we're going to do today and next week is look at a couple of case studies at some of the people who found themselves involved in the epic story. And today we're going to look at Peter's story. So some of you know Peter. Earlier in the gospel, Peter is the passionate leader of the disciples. And he is the first one to jump out of the boat and try to walk on water to greet Jesus. And he's the one who protests when Jesus comes to wash his disciples' feet. He's the one who says, not my feet, Lord. But what you find is uh, Peter was full of bravado, and he was full of bluster. And yet, Peter was also self-interested, and he loved to hear himself talk. And eventually, Peter's insecurity surfaced. So around the time, some of you know the story, around the time of Jesus' death, Peter famously denied Jesus three times. And Scripture says Jesus looked at him, and then the rooster crowed. Peter remembered Jesus' prediction, and passionate Peter went outside, and he wept bitterly. But when we get to Acts, Peter is an entirely changed man. And he's the one leading the charge. He's been converted into the story. In Acts 2, Peter preaches the first sermon. At one point, Peter bravely addresses Jews in the crowd who gave their tacit approval to Jesus' crucifixion and says, you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. But God raised him from the dead. So this is brave Peter. A new man. Later, Peter was undaunted when the temple guard and chief priest seized Peter and John, and because it was evening, they put them in jail. So we find that Peter was beaten, he was jailed multiple times, and people were astonished, it says in chapter 4, at Peter's courage. So what changed? You've got, on the one hand, you've got this guy cowering in shame and 
denials of Jesus Christ. And then over here, you've got this guy who is a paragon, a titan of the, of the faith and a, and a leader in the church. How is it that Peter went from failure to father of the church? Well, what we're learning today is uh, conversion is not cookie cutter. And Peter had a conversion of faith, but he also had a conversion into Christ's mission. And for Peter, his conversion was a conversion of his passions. It was a conversion of Peter's loves. So let's, let's take this journey together. Let's read John chapter 21, verses 15 to 19. And I'd invite you to turn there in your worship guides or in your Bibles. Jesus had died and resurrected, and he seeks Peter out. Peter and some of the other disciples had gone back to fishing, but Jesus looks for him and finds him by the Sea of Galilee. Jesus invites Peter and the other disciples to have breakfast with him, and this is what happens next. John chapter 21, beginning at verse 15. Hear the word of the Lord. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. Very truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and you went where you wanted. But when you were old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Then he said to him, follow me. So, if you were picking up, one of the best ways to do Bible study is to notice repeated words. And there's a repeated word, it's the word love. And so, Jesus is talking to Peter about love. And so, many of you would say, well, I know what that message is. Jesus is telling Peter about the love of God for him, right? That's what we say in church. We talk about the love of God for us. Yes, but actually it's a different direction that Jesus takes here. Jesus says to Peter, not Peter, do you know the love of God for you, but Peter, do you love me? Three times. Well, importantly, uh, the story does start with Jesus' love and forgiveness for Peter. And some of you know the script. Jesus, Jesus scripts this thing so that they return to a charcoal fire. And you know that when Peter denied Jesus, one time it was warming himself by a charcoal fire when he denied Jesus to the servant girl. And so what Jesus is doing is he's returning Peter to the scene of the crime, the scene of the trauma. And it's a way to restore Peter. He can re-experience the event, this time not in terms of the painful exposure of shame, but the covering of Jesus' love and forgiveness. 
So it's Jesus' tender love and forgiveness extended to Peter. So three times Jesus asks a question to counter Peter's threefold denial. And three times Peter answers affirmatively. And three times Jesus' restoration and reinstatement was evidenced in this call, Peter, feed my sheep. So the point is, Jesus loved Peter. He died for Peter. Now I think what Jesus is doing is he's completing the circle of love. So stay with me here. Sometimes we receive the love of God, but it stops there. Did you know? I think sometimes we forget that God's love is meant to evoke a response of love, a relationship of love on our part. I can remember the first time I asked my wife, Lisa, uh, I'm sorry, I can remember the first time I said to Lisa, I love you, um, in a spurt of great romance. Uh, we had just finished working out at the YMCA, and we were in our sweaty clothes, and we were down in Charlotte in her condominium. And so me being the suave guy, I chose that moment. But we were sitting there, and I said to her for the very first time, Lisa, I love you. And what do you think I did next? I held my breath. It's the same thing anybody who has been the first to say those words to somebody else does. You hold your breath. Why? Because you want to see, is that offer going to be completed is she going to say, I love you too? So that's the thing, right? Um, Peter was a passionate guy. He was full of bravado and bluster. Now, the first time Jesus asked Peter the question, he actually says it this way. He says, will you love me more than these? And so there, there has to be a transfer of loves. Nobody knows that Peter was pointing to the other disciples or to Peter's fish. Jesus was pointing to the other disciples or Peter's fishing nets or something else. Three years earlier, we do know when Jesus called Peter then, it had been from fishing. And the passage says that Peter and the others left everything to follow Jesus. So we know what's happening is some kind of choice is being made with respect to love. And the point of loving Jesus, the point is loving Jesus is a choice and it requires sacrifice. See, a conversion of loves is not cookie cutter. Peter didn't just need a conversion of faith to enter the big story of the salvation of God. He needed a conversion of his loves. So this is what's happening here. And so Jesus restored Peter and he invites him there by the charcoal fire to say some things with his own mouth. And I think this is a very important part. You know, words are powerful. Words have the power to heal or to, or, or to kill. And so words are this way. Jesus himself is the revealed word of God. And we all know the scenario, and I'll just use it this way, where the guy says to the girl, you know that I love you. I don't need to say it. And what will she say? She'll say, well, I won't know it unless you say it. And so he might say, well, you know that I love you. No. Words matter. 
I won't know that it's true unless I hear those words come out of your own mouth. I think sometimes with words, we don't discover what we believe until we hear the words come out of our own mouths. And so Jesus is doing this with Peter. He is saying, I need to hear you say it. So I I just want to give you an opportunity this morning uh, to say with your own mouth, and I'm not forcing you to do anything, but if you have chosen to follow Jesus and you would like to follow him in this way, I wanted to just ask you to say with your own mouth, and don't say it to me, but say it to Jesus, just say, Jesus, I love you. So let's just say that together. Jesus, I love you. Let's say that one more time. Jesus, I love you. Jesus, I love you. You know, I think there's something that unlocks in us. I think there's a type of freedom uh, that unlocks in us when we love. It frees us from the cul-de-sac of self, doesn't it? Now, I used to think that we imaged God when we imaged God in morality. But I've lately come to think that we image God when we image God in relationship. And so the way that we have the image of God restored in us is we image the three persons of the Trinity who are outdoing each other in self-giving love one to the other. And so it's the same for us. It's when we love that something is freed in us, that something becomes true in us that has been lost. So again, um, Jesus starts with his love and tender forgiveness for Peter. And we know this. It starts there, that Jesus died for you to atone for your sin. He stood in our place so we wouldn't have to take into ourselves the wrath that our sin deserves. And so we come in gratitude for God making the first move. But we also know that the love was never meant to just stop there. It was meant to invite us into a response of love, a relationship of love. And so Jesus is inviting Peter into the larger story. And so the last words are important. Jesus says to Peter, he says these two words. He says, follow me. Look at the passage in verse 19. Now, it's preceded by Jesus' prediction of the kind of death, Jesus' prediction of the kind of death Peter will die. And some of you know there are different underlying words for love in the Greek in this passage. And so the two words used are agapao and phileo. And so agapao is the self-sacrificing love of choice and action. By contrast, phileo is the warm affection of love. So twice Jesus asked Peter if he agapaos him. And twice Peter answers, Lord, you know I have warm affection for you. But here's the thing, I think, in his divine insight and foresight, Jesus knows Peter eventually will agapao him. Because in verse 18, he says, Very truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. And so legend has it that Peter died by crucifixion. uh, But at the moment, uh, he said he was not worthy to die in the same manner as his Savior. And so he requested that he be crucified upside down. 
And so Jesus is predicting this. And then it was at that point that Jesus says to Peter, follow me. So I think something is happening there here. And I think it gets at the world, at this idea of motivation. Uh, it gets at this idea of what, what is driving us. I used to be more involved in the running world, and I was more of a competitive runner. And at the time, uh, there was always this question of motivation. And you were asking, what keeps you coming back? What motivates you to get out of bed? What motivates you to lace up your shoes? And what motivates you to keep running hard and fast in the bite of the pain? See, in Mark 14, when the woman anoints Jesus' feet with perfume, his disciples protest and say, that perfume could have been sold and given to the poor. But Jesus says she has done a beautiful thing. So here's the point. What motivated this woman to do what she did? She was motivated by love. What was driving her was love. And Jesus is inviting Peter into the larger story, the epic story. And what he is doing is planting in Peter the motivation of love. So again, some of us wonder, uh, how do I enter the epic story? You know, I'm here, I believe in Jesus. Yes, but maybe we are like Peter, where we need a conversion of our loves. And so I'll just say it this way, you know, kind of why are we all here? You know, why are we all here? I mean, sometimes we get into this routine and this road and we wander in. We have to ask him, you know, do we love Jesus? Do we love Jesus? And do we want to be the image and the life of Jesus where he has called us and where he's put us? It all begins with what motivates us, what is inside of us and drives us. Well, in closing, um, I love this story of a young woman in England, and she always wore this locket around her neck. And she was a single woman, and people would see her, and they always wondered what was in the locket, because they were sure that she held a candle for some man out in the world, and that man's picture was inside of this little locket. Well, one day she died, and some of her family members thought, well, finally we can open the locket and see who this woman actually held a hidden love for. And this is what they found. They found a little slip of paper with these words written on it. Though I have not seen him, I love him. When Peter was an old man, he wrote the epistles of Peter, 1st, 2nd Peter. And in an early portion of 1st Peter, you find these very words. Peter gives praise to Christ who has given him a living hope. And then he finishes the section this way. Though you have not seen him, you... What are the words, church? You love him. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. For you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. So listen, uh, just as we finish up here, I just want to remind you, maybe, maybe not, you've been hanging around churches and maybe you thought the message of Christianity was one thing. Here's the message of Christianity. 
God loves you. He initiated his love for you in giving his one and only son who came and died on the cross for your sin and mine so we would not have to bear the judgment of God for sin. And then he rose again to eternal life so that we might have assurance of new and everlasting life. Death could not hold him and death will not hold us. And so this is the Christian message. But we also know that Jesus came to complete the circle of love. He came to reconcile us into a relationship of love, to evoke a response of love. On the cross, he says to you and me, I love you. And now he is holding his breath, waiting for your response. So friends, welcome to the epic story. Let's pray. Father, we thank you uh, that your words in Scripture are not like any other words. And we pray that they would have their effect and that they would draw us into real relationship with you. Father, guide us through your words so that we might respond in love and obedience. In Christ's name and for his sake, amen.